Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by assistant sports editor Owen Warden and print managing editor Stuart Steele. Welcome back to the show, Stu. Good to be back. So, Stu, obviously the draft just happened. And there was a whole lot that went down. A few guys went higher than expected. A few guys dropped. And I just wanted to wrap up with a few thoughts about the draft as a whole. You prepared three takeaways. I prepared three takeaways. And we're just going to go over the draft. So, without further ado, give me your first takeaway. My first takeaway is that all Georgia fans now love the Eagles. Except for ones that already had an allegiance to an NFC East team, essentially. Because... Eagles are picking a bunch of Bulldogs, a bunch of fan favorite Bulldogs, Nolan Smith, Jordan Davis, especially two big fan favorites. And then getting Jalen Carter at nine, excellent work. And Howie Roseman, their general manager, has just been getting lauded with praise, mostly for picking up these Bulldogs. Also traded for DeAndre Swift, so they've now got a total of six on their roster. And I think there's a lot of excitement uh, in the Georgia fandom, just that the, those players are on the same team again. Yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of excitement around the Eagles, specifically because they drafted those Georgia players. And your first takeaway kind of loops into my first takeaway, which is that I think Jalen Carter is going to be just fine, because if you're the Eagles and you have all of those former Bulldogs on the roster, and the downside with Jalen Carter is character concerns, who's who's a better person to ask about Jalen Carter's character than people who shared a defensive line with him, than people who know him super well? So I think Jalen Carter is going to be just fine. I think, honestly, they probably got a steal at number nine because he's one of the most talented players in the draft, and he probably should have been gone before then. So I think the Eagles are going to be really, really happy that they invested all that draft capital in Georgia Bulldogs. I fully agree. I think teams are going to look back in a couple years and be like, how did Jalen Carter fall to ninth? Because he's going to wreak havoc on that D-line. I think being back with Jordan Davis is going to be great. Um, has Fletcher Cox in the building as well as a veteran mentor who's done it for over a decade. Um, It's just a great infrastructure on that team, and that defensive front in general is so talented already. There's really no pressure on Jalen Carter, in my opinion, to perform immediately or, like, do it on his own. He's not going to be – you can't double-team the guy, I don't think, with the the group that they have, Um, and that's going to be really good for him to to get his footing in the league and then maybe develop into one of those – really dominant defensive lineman. So your, this takeaway also loops into one of my other takeaways, which is just that NFL teams are really valuing this recent run of Bulldogs that are, that are just so good. Six different NFL teams drafted multiple Georgia players over the past two drafts. It's incredible the amount of talent that there was on recent Georgia teams. So obviously if you have 25 players drafted, a couple of teams are going to double dip there. But the fact that just NFL teams are recognizing that these teams were so incredibly good and Georgia players are getting rewarded for that fact, I think it's just notable. Yeah, I agree. I think it's showing that uh, the teams, you know, I think Kirby is very open with teams about their players. I think that was a big takeaway as well when they were talking about Keely Ringo getting drafted and kind of falling a little bit was uh, Ian Rappaport on NFL Network was talking about how they're very honest with teams in their evaluations of people. And I thought that was an interesting note. And I think that's part of why some of these teams are so comfortable with it is they know they're getting 
an honest evaluation from Kirby, and that that's really comforting to teams. I think Saban for a long time has also been seen as a guy who will really tell you like it is when you're talking to him about his prospects, and I think that's comforting to teams. And I know we've talked about it like as if it was just the 2021 team carrying over to this year, but like I was even looking at next year's roster, and I was going, okay, this guy could get drafted. This guy could get drafted really high. This guy could go in the sixth round. So I don't think it's going to stop with those two national championship teams. I think that NFL success could carry over into the future and even the far future possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I think Georgia is, I mean, as long as Kirby's here and recruiting like he's been recruiting and developing like he's been developing, there's no reason to think they're going to have a year where there's, it would be hard to envision less than five Georgia players getting drafted in a given year based on how they're pumping out talent and how they're bringing guys into the system. And I mean, guys like Jordan Davis, Brock Bowers, guys that aren't even high recruits, uh, even like A.D. Mitchell, who's not going to be coming out of Georgia when he goes pro, but he's going to, you're going to have to credit some of his development to the time he spent in the program. And I just think there's so many players even who aren't with the team anymore that have, have been at the program and then get drafted as well. It's like, there's so much influence from Athens on, on the NFL at this point. Stu, what is your second takeaway? Uh, my second takeaway is a Stetson Bennett takeaway because I thought the spot he was drafted in was interesting. I thought the team that drafted him was interesting. Uh, the Rams don't have really a contingency plan for Matthew Stafford's retirement. And taking a quarterback even in the fourth round when you're a team like that um, who doesn't have that succession plan in place is going to get a lot read into it, I think. But to me, it seems like the stuff coming out of Rams camp, what Les Snead was saying about Stetson Bennett, what all the – the Rams are one of those teams that the media is super plugged in on because they're in L.A. Um, McVay, it seems like, likes to talk to the media types. So it seemed like they're super high on Stetson Bennett. Like, um, it would not surprise me if he's the starting quarterback uh, as early as 2024, depending on what happens with Stafford. Uh, which who knows at this point, he didn't play very well last year. He was injured. He finished out the year not playing, but I don't think it's impossible that Stetson Bennett goes into the 2024 season as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. I think those injury concerns are big because even if Stafford doesn't retire, I don't think like his health is ever going to be a sure thing in the future. And if Stetson is the clear backup there, which they invested a fourth-round pick in him, that means they think pretty highly of him. I think that means he's going to get playing time and the eventuality and the possibility that Matthew Stafford gets injured and has to miss a game, two games, half a season even. And I think even just looking at the way that Sean McVay likes to run an offense, I think Stetson's a good fit for it. And they come from he comes from kind of the Shanahan tree as well. They like to get their quarterbacks you know, out on those bootlegs into those rollouts. And Stetson's always been very good at that, in my opinion, throwing on the run and also has the ability to make plays with his legs, ran pretty well at the combine, not quite as well as I thought he was, but ran solidly. And I think uh, I like the situation. Again, he can go learn under Stafford for a year. That's a, that's a guy that's done it for 15 seasons at this point, almost, or at least 10 plus. So He's got a good infrastructure. That offense is like set up for the quarterback to succeed. Going to one of those Shanahan types, McVay, going to one of these guys that puts you in a good position is often to me bigger for a quarterback than getting drafted number one or getting drafted high. I think that's why Bryce Young going to Frank Reich, I think, is another good fit. That's 
important for these young quarterbacks because we've seen countless quarterbacks get ruined by uh, the coaching carousel or having, you know, Baker Mayfield has, I think, had four-plus offensive coordinators already in his career, and it's hard to overcome that. So I think if McVay it's, – it's weird because we also hear about McVay thinking about retiring all the time, but if McVay is there and is stable, I think that's great for Stetson. I think it's great for Stetson. When you talk about offensive systems, the Shanahan, the rollout system is one of the easiest on quarterbacks. I mean, it made Jared Goff like a very highly paid player. It made him look like a, a Super Bowl player at one point, even though he eventually fell off. But I do think the offensive line is going to be a problem immediately out of the gate. Uh, I think if we're solely talking about the system, Stetson is set up really well. But if you're talking about the players around him, he might struggle a bit, even though their wide receiver talent is very good. That's fair. The Rams in general, their roster is in a weird spot because, you know, Super Bowl champion, but very much we're all in. And then it's kind of fallen apart. They made that big signing of Allen Robinson. He's gone now. Didn't do anything in his season there, essentially. Bobby Wagner's gone. I mean, they still have very high-end stars. They have Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. But after that, it's really not a lot. So I think that point is is important. And the Rams, ironically, have had this whole motto of, like, F them picks for a couple years now. And suddenly, oh, look, their roster needs to be replenished at essentially every position. And it's like, oh, the draft actually does matter. And you can't just completely forego it forever. And it worked out for them because they won a Super Bowl. But if they lost to the Bengals in that game, the Rams would look insanely foolish for how they handled that that run in my opinion so it's just an interesting thing true my third takeaway is also about a guy who was drafted on day three i want to talk about kenny mcintosh because kenny mcintosh had didn't test the greatest at the combine he played injured for a lot of the season so there's, there's probably some some concerns about that but you cannot tell me that there were 236 better players than him in this draft class he went in round seven. Kenny McIntosh is not a round seven player. He is going to make the Seahawks look very smart for drafting him. Well, and yeah, and Seattle is a great spot. Again, for like a running back, he's not going to be the guy. They've got Ken Walker. I think they drafted another running back as well in this draft. Um, so who knows if he'll be able to contribute early. But I, I agree. He seems really ready to contribute at the pro level. It's always weird to me. It's like if, if you're the starting running back for a program like Georgia – you're, you're playing against like top level talent and that seems like it'll translate he's got good pass catching ability that was like one of his best traits in college essentially and and it's odd to me because that's what you want in a modern NFL running back he can stay on the field for all three downs um, and just I agree a seventh round pick on him that's a great pick you you could get really good value out of that the, the Seahawks also drafted Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA and they spent a fairly high pick on him. I think it was a second or a third rounder. So he Kenny might be buried in the depth chart a little bit, but injuries happen to running backs. It's just going to occur over the length of a 17-game season. So Kenny is going to get his sh- chance to shine, and we do- when he does get that chance, I think he's going to make the most of it. And I'd say in general when you see a team kind of double dip at a position or spend a lot of draft capital on a position, but like when it's a late-round pick and they've already spent high picks – I'm willing to bet Seattle had him a lot higher on their board than, than a lot of other teams because a lot of the times you don't want to go back to the same well as far as the position, even with your late-round picks. 
it's a little bit of a dart throw at that point anyway, but I, I would bet they were like, the value here is just too high. He's our best player available. Even though he's a running back, let's grab him and see what we got. Stuart, hit me with your third takeaway. My third takeaway is just a general feeling of Georgia players. Almost every single one of them went later than I expected, with basically the exception of Stetson Bennett. I didn't think anybody was really reached for. Broderick Jones went right about where we expected him. Jalen Carter didn't fall like some people were saying he might. uh, Still top 10 pick. But Nolan Smith late in the first round. Darnell Washington, big drop late in the third round. Keely Ringo, the fourth round. I thought that was interesting um, in general. And a lot of the other guys, you know, it was kind of hard to tell where they're going to get picked, like Chris Smith and all of them. But still a lot of late round picks. And and him, Beal, and McClendon all went in like – within five picks of each other, I believe. So it was just interesting to see how teams were valuing players and um, just some of those things where you don't, we didn't really know like about Darnell Washington, that there was this major injury concern that was going to cause him to drop. It was very similar to N'Kobe Dean uh, last year where uh, you were seeing him drafted, you know, in mock drafts in the late first, early second. And then it's just, you're left scratching your head wondering why he's not being picked. And then, suddenly you see on Twitter and all this stuff, you know, there's medical concerns or uh, for Keely Ringo, it was like character concerns about, I don't know, a five-star mentality was what I heard. And it was like, I don't even know what that means. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So for Darnell, I honestly kind of understand the drop. He's a big guy. He carries a massive frame. If you've got lower body injuries, you worry about how well that's going to keep up over the length of an NFL career. So I don't think it's the exact same situation as Nakobe, who those those concerns are totally unfounded in my opinion. Um, I to- I didn't get Keeley drop at all. I thought Christopher Smith probably dropped because of his difficulties at the combine. I also disagree with that because like when you watch him play, those difficult those difficulties just don't show up on the tape. So like I didn't understand a lot of the drops. Some of them I thought okay fine. But, yeah, overall, I thought Georgia players probably went later than they should have. I just, with Darnell Washington, I don't see I don't see the concerns. I mean, I understand he's missed time um, in college, but the impact you're going to get, the fact that he was, I believe, the eighth or ninth tight end off the board, uh, it just doesn't match up with his talent level or his potential. I mean, you cannot teach that size. You cannot teach that athleticism. And his blocking ability, I think, was pretty universally seen as the best of any of the top tight ends, at least the ones that also had legitimate pass catching ability. And it's just like, you see all these tight ends coming off the board from smaller schools and things like that. And to me, it's just, it doesn't make sense when, when you watch Darnell Washington play the sport and the impact he has as a blocker, uh, that's going to translate from day one. Pittsburgh is going to use him on the edge. They've got Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington, and they've got Najee Harris in the backfield. They've shored up that offensive line, and Pittsburgh, I think, is going to really love Darnell Washington. He's going to be – they always have good tight ends. They have Fryermuth already. Heath Miller was a huge fan favorite there for like a decade. Darnell Washington's going to fit right in, and he's he's going to be a great player. So, yeah, I agree Darnell is going to be great for Pittsburgh. But worst-case scenario, you only get one contract out of Darnell. And would you prefer a great tight end for one contract or an average to above-average tight end for three? In the third round – I would love the best player available to me. And that was Darnell Washington. He was the best player 
available for essentially an entire round of the draft. And if you're worried about injuries or projecting those ahead, I, I just think that's the wrong way to draft unless it's like a real tangible thing. There was a guy, the running back out of Tulane, Tajay Spears, went and they were talking about like he doesn't have an ACL essentially. And he, I believe, went before Darnell Washington. So to me, the medical concerns is kind of BS. Or I'm not saying it's BS, but I just don't think it's valid. And I think it's it's a weird thing to try to project that forward into the NFL. Tajay Spears went 81st overall. With 12 picks earlier. Uh, I just think it's, I think it's a little bit of a thing where it's hard to predict how it's actually going to play out. And sure, Darnell Washington could be injury prone in the NFL. Um, we've seen that before with Georgia players. There were medical concerns with Todd Gurley. There were medical concerns with Sony Michelle. I mean, these are real things, and they have impacted. Like Sony Michelle had a super short career, partially due to that, and Todd Gurley obviously fell off the face of the earth, um, essentially like two seasons after being the offensive player of the year. So, I get why teams are worried about it, but at the same time, I, I think the talent and the tail of the tape has to come in stronger than medical concerns unless you legitimately think it's like career threatening or career altering so beyond darnell washington do you have any final thoughts concerns takeaways or comments about the nfl draft uh i don't really from a georgia perspective i thought it was a good showing for them i think we've hit on a lot of the important things thanks for coming on the show Stu. thanks for having me john We'll be joined by assistant sports editor Owen Warden. Welcome to the show, Owen. Great to be here, John. Given that the draft just happened, I thought it would be fun to give listeners a set of way too early players to watch for the 2024 draft. Some of these answers are going to be obvious, but we've also tried to highlight a few under-the-radar guys on the roster. Anyway, Owen, who was your first draft-eligible player to watch? Before I give my name, I mean, I'm a huge draft buff. I mean... We've talked a million things about the 2023 draft, and I've already looked at uh, what other experts and, and people around the NFL are saying about the 2024 draft. And there's certain, certainly some fun players, but I think they're missing out on a lot of players. Um, one they're certainly not, and I think we should just get this one out of the way, is Brock Bowers. Um, that's one I – honestly, we shouldn't spend much time on it because it's obvious. He's going to be a top-five pick. He's going to be one of the best players in college football this year, barring injury. He's a really fun player, a really talented player. He's going to be one of the best. And I'm Georgia fans for the past few seasons have been like, you know that Brock Bowers kid? Yeah, we got him for two more years. We got him for one more year. Well, this is your last year with him. Enjoy him. He's going to go high. He's really fun. Yeah, Brock Bowers is obviously the first name on the list. He's just the best player on the roster, one of the best players in college football. This was a loaded tight end class this past year, and Bowers would have easily been the best player. So, like, it's not even a question about whether Bowers should be someone to watch. He should be someone you have already watched significant amount of football, uh, and obviously he's, he's going to be a guy to keep on your radar for 2024. Absolutely. Um, John, What's uh, give me one of your names now. All right, my first name is a guy who, who really stepped up toward the end of this past season. I think Javon Bullard is going to be a guy to watch. That physicality he plays with, he just has a knack for the football, and I think that's going to be really appeal, appealing to NFL teams. 
I completely agree. I mean, he's played the star role, which is the nickel cornerback position, the guy that lines uh, up on that third wide receiver, for those that don't know. But he played that position really well. And, and there was a guy in this draft um, uh, from Alabama named Brian Branch who did that role, and he was a draft darling from a lot of people. He went about early second round, which for a lot of people was later than he should have. So Javon Bullard, he played safety in G-Day. I only think that's going to help his stock rather than hurt because um, that's honestly would probably knock Brian Branch down a little bit as he hasn't had a lot of just true safety reps. So, I mean, Javon Bullard getting safety reps, having reps at that cornerback position, that flexibility, teams love it. I love it as someone that evaluates guys for the draft. So I, I completely agree with you. All right. Oh, and who's the second name on your list? So the second name, um, just to kind of combine two guys into one, because truthfully, I don't really know who's going to be the higher picked between the two. And it's Georgia linebackers, Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden. Those two guys are really talented. And I think anyone that watched the Georgia defense last year can tell you that. Jamon Dumas Johnson won awards. Not won awards. He was in running for awards. Smile Munden could have easily, if not for dealing with an injury. But those guys are athletic. Uh, Jamon's a bit bigger than Smile, but I think Smile's a little bit more athletic. Um, but either way, they're going to run crazy at the Combine when they eventually do go. They're going to perform crazy. They're going to be really highly touted guys. The linebacker position itself is a little bit more lower rated. There was only one that went in the first round this year. But I really think, like Quay Walker did uh, a couple years ago heading to the Green Bay Packers, I really think one or possibly both could be first-round picks. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, Jamon has already proven what he can do on the football field. And I think Smile only has room to grow from here. Like He's obviously been fantastic so far, but I just think he has so much room to improve, even with how fantastic he's been. I do kind of disagree with you on who's bigger. Every time I talk to Smile, I'm like, wow, this guy is huge. And I think Jamon carries himself with a slightly leaner figure. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think it might come down to Jamon, I think might be a little bit taller than Smile. And I think coming from an NFL draft perspective, you think, OK, I can put maybe a little bit more weight on this guy. But you might be right. I think I think Smile is might be a little bit more built right now. But I think that's going to be an interesting conversation when it does come to draft time. Either way, both of those guys are just athletic, incredibly athletic. They like their athleticism flies off the screen when you watch them just like they fly to the football. We have one photo of Smile from the Red and Black where he is literally leaping to make a tackle, and he's just diving on, on a guy from midair. And I think NFL coaches are going to see that when they watch the tape. Oh, absolutely. They're both very fun players, and I don't think maybe they've got the recognition from everyone around the league, but when it comes to draft time, I think they will. But what's your next name? The next name on my list is Cedric Van Pran, a guy who could have gone in the draft this past year, would have been one of the higher higher centers taken in the draft this past year, but he came back. He chose to return to the G to go after a third national title, and I think in that third national championship possible season, he's going to only improve, and he's going to show a lot of NFL teams that he can be good for them on the next level. Absolutely. I mean, if he came out in this past draft, he would have had plenty of suitors. He would have been one of the top centers in this draft, and I mean, a guy that that he reminds me a lot of is a guy named by the name of John Michael Schmitz, who was recently drafted in the second round by the Giants, but he was mocked uh, in the first round to the Giants. He fell a little bit. So Van Pran, I think, could easily give himself a consideration to be a late first, a, a, a solid second round player that 
no matter where he's drafted to the first two days, which I think is his projection, he's going to be pretty much an immediate center for whichever team takes him. Owen, who is the third name on your list? So the third name I'm going to go with, and I think I'm going to stick with the offensive line for the main positions, and I think I'm going to go with Amarius Mims. Amarius Mims, first-year starting tackle for the for the Georgia Bulldogs, and we saw a first-year tackle go in the first round of this draft. Broderick Jones went 14 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is a great fit, by the way. They really need offensive line, and he's a super athletic, former five-star tackle that I think is going to make a big impact for Pittsburgh, but... A lot of those descriptions that I just gave for Broderick is the same type of things you can get for Amarius, but he is bigger. He's a, he's about two inches taller than Broderick Jones and even longer, which even though two inches doesn't sound like a lot, it can be, especially on the offensive line where size is key. Amarius starting at right tackle for the first time. He had a little bit of reps last year after Warren McClendon, who was drafted to the Los Angeles Rams, uh, was injured. Uh, which, again, very similar story to Broderick. I mean, you saw um, Jamari Salyer, who's with the Los Angeles Chargers. He went down. Broderick started at left tackle in his place, and he started the next year, balled out, was a first-round pick. And I think Amarius Mims could easily follow that trajectory. So, yeah, the fact that they trusted him to step in and start when Warren went down says a lot about Georgia's faith in Amarius as a player. But even before Warren went down, they were still rotating him in and out of games, getting him those reps because they knew what they had in Amarius. And I think when NFL teams watch Amarius' tape, they're going to realize there's something special to him, too. I completely agree. He's a fun player, and I'm excited to see what he does for this upcoming season, and I'm sure NFL scouts will be, too. But what is your third name, John? The third name on my list, speaking of guys who could have gone in the draft but decided to come back, I want to talk about Lad McConkie a little. Lad might be a little undersized, but this past draft showed just how much teams can value undersized wide receivers. I think he's going to find his... Honestly, I it got stuck in my head and I can't get it out. Lad to the Patriots would be the most on-brand thing ever because he's just a quick guy who some teams are going to est- underestimate and he's going to take advantage of them because they underestimate him. He's a very good wide receiver. Under A.D. Mitchell's absence, Lad stepped up, and they didn't miss a beat. And I think that's just because he's so talented, and NFL teams are going to see that watching him this season. I completely agree. He he reminds me so much of Hunter Renfro when he was playing at Clemson, a guy that stuck around for a little while, that Clemson fans loved, that, that if you talk to a Clemson fan, oh, they knew who Hunter Renfro was, and they loved Hunter Renfro, but he didn't get a lot of buzz going into the draft. I can easily see Lad doing something like that, and wherever he goes, whether it's the Patriots or the Raiders or – Whichever team, which I do love that Patriots comp, he's going to be an impactful player in that slot. I really do think so, so I think that's a great pick. Owen, who is the final name on your list? So the final name, and it's tough because like everything I do, I overprepared, which I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit. But I think the last name I want to talk about is a guy by the name of Tate Ratledge. Um, A.K.A. Mullet Man, as uh, his teammate, as his former teammate Ryland Goaty called him, uh, and it, I'm I'm assuming several of his other teammates do. You may know him by his mullet, but he's an incredible right guard, a former five-star tackle coming into Georgia. He immediately, eventually got a start at right guard. Was injured um, in the first national championship season, which allowed Warren Erickson, who went undrafted in this draft, to step up, get some starts. Um, of course, he was eventually replaced by uh, Jamari Salier when he returned, but he was supposed to start one year, 
finally got a start this past season and truthfully didn't look fully back. He, he looked like he was still recovering, still getting back up to speed. And man, we talked about it a little bit, but in G-Day, he looked there. He looked all there and he looked fun. He's a big dude. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, I believe. He's fun. He's a guy with great size that you feel like maybe you could kick him out to tackle as that's where he played in high school. But primarily, you have him as that guard. You have him, you have him as that interior guy, that interior force. And he could be one of those guards that rises as a potential first-round pick just based off of play. But if anything, could be like an Osiris Torrance from Florida this season and be picked in the second round. And a guy that I just think is going to be impactful, truthfully. Yeah, when you watch Tate, obviously you see the physicality. I think the fact that they immediately went back to starting him when he was when he was ready in that, in that next season says a lot about their faith in him, speaking of that faith in the offensive line. But the thing that sticks out to me the most about Tate is that when you talk to him, he sounds like a guy you want on the offensive line. Oh, yeah. He knows what he's doing. He knows how important that connection among the offensive line is. And he's just he's just a guy that you want in the locker room for your offensive line. And I think he's going to be really good this season. Like, he's been really good for his entire career with Georgia. Yeah, just one of those fun guys that you look at him and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that typical O-line build that you got to love. So just just a dude that I think is going to wow a lot of a lot of people and a lot of a lot of uh, scouts and, and someone that has already made his intentions to enter the NFL draft known following this season. And believe me, I think he's going to wow some people. But, John, give me your uh, quote-unquote last name. Uh, we already went over my last name, so we're going to go to your honorable oh, mentions now. John, you're too kind. So uh, with that, I'll go ahead and get started. Um, I think first name we got to mention is Kamari Lassiter. Um, I've seen him on a couple of those mocks, and he might be rated a little higher than I would say. But it's a name that I think definitely needs to be brought up because I think he's entering the draft after this year. Mostly no matter what. I mean, barring injuries or whatever, whatever have you. But... Definitely a guy that I think you got to keep an eye out for uh, where he might go in this uh, next draft. I think Kamari, specifically in in the context of those 2024 way-too-early mock drafts, is getting a little bit of the Georgia bump. And that sounds weird to say, but Georgia has become a school where if you see that a player went there and he's on like the defense, which has been historically dominant recently, you'd say, okay, he's, he's obviously got to be really good if he's a starter on that defense. So we're going to rate him a little higher than maybe some people who watch every game proudly would. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it is a little bit of a Georgia bump. And I, I saw him mock to the Eagles, which, gosh, I mean, you take, you've got seven on the roster. It makes sense that you might want to take another. So I can 100% see that. Another name that's a pretty big name, a lot, especially for Georgia fans, but hasn't gotten a lot of attention is Carson Beck. I think that's 100% someone that we got to keep in mind um, for this next upcoming draft. Not officially named the starter. We don't know who the starting quarterback is, but it seems like it might be Beck. And if it is Beck, I can 100% see him entering the draft, especially based on the fact that Brock Vandegrift did not transfer. That window was closed. And I, I think that Vandegrift expects that if he isn't starting, that whoever is the starter will enter the draft and the uh, the other guy will get a chance the, the following year. So... I think Carson Beck, if he does get the start, will expect to enter the draft. And whether or not he'll be a fourth-round pick like Stetson Bennett or if he'll prove himself as a really talented guy for the first few rounds, that's uh, that remains to be seen. I think if Carson Beck has a really good season this year, 
comparable to not not quite the season Seth Stetson had last year, but I think if he's anywhere in the ballpark, he's probably going to go higher than Stetson just because Brock is more of a t- traditional NFL quarterback prospect than Stetson was, and I think that's going to be appealing to teams. I've heard a lot of a lot of talk about Brock Carson Carson Beck potentially going in the draft, and I I think if he does well this year, he can really improve his stock. I completely agree. Uh, to continue on the offense, I think two guys we got to think about are Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards, uh, both seniors um, who have been with the team for a while now. So um, we did see Kenny McIntosh go in the seventh round, which I think is really late for him. Um, so I don't know how high these guys go. They're not the most prolific runners. I mean, I mean Branson Robinson and Roger Robinson both kind of have a lot more hype behind them than these guys do, but I think they'll definitely be players to look out for. I think Dejon is probably the more boomer bust pick out of those two, just because his speed does. It, it's very obvious when you watch the game. Kendall's maybe a little more understood, but you can tell like if you draft Kendall Kendall Milton, you're getting four yards on every carry, though he might not get you the the home run plays that Dejon does. And neither of them are the receiver that Kenny is. And receiving backs are very valuable in the, in the NFL right now, and they will be in the future. So I think that's going to be a knock on them as well. Yeah. Um, and I think I think we can wrap it up with my last name. I do want to uh, just, without talking about really any of them, there's a few kind of under-the-radar guys that you might see get brought up a few times here and there. Xavier Truss, Warren Brinson, Zion Logue. Random kind of in-the-trenches guys that I think will get drafted somewhere. I don't know how high. I don't know how well they'll play this season. But those type of Georgia players that will likely go somewhere and and provide good depth for an NFL team, depending on how they play this season. But the name I wanted to bring up, and the the final name that I think is interesting as a possible honorable mention, is Tyke Smith. He's been with the team for a long time now. He's been looking to enter the draft, I think, for the past two years, especially after transferring. I don't think he came to Georgia expecting to be here for three years, but here he is. Uh, and he again, he's sticking around. Transfer window's closed. He's here. Um, and he started at the star position where Javon Bullard spent a lot of his time. So I think if he falls out at star, he's got plenty of West Virginia safety tape to to make him seem like a convincing prospect. A lot of people coming into seasons have been like, Tyke could be a dude to keep an eye on. And he has into the draft, so this might be finally the year for Tyke. Yeah, we talked leading up to G-Day a lot about how they were going to fill in those holes on the defensive back rotation, and we thought it would be people rising up at the positions they were currently slotted in. But if they're moving Javon around, if they'd be willing to move people around in that defensive back rotation, then Tyke Smith might find an opening, and he might make the most of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think everyone's hyped him up. I know uh, Jared Smith from from our uh from the sports desk and the football beat has wanted him to be pretty successful for a while now and has been predicting it for a good while and it hasn't really come true so i know him and probably a lot of other georgia bulldog fans would be happy to finally see tyke reach that potential that he, he he's had for a while oh and do you have any final thoughts about georgia's draft eligible players leading into next year well i think that's interesting because georgia truthfully didn't have that many players go out from its main core of, of of players and they had 10 players drafted they had 12 total that are on an uh 12 total rookies on an nfl roster right now with pod lesney and kiris jackson being picked up as undrafted free agents warren erickson might be to follow but 
I think it's interesting because not a, Georgia didn't lose a lot. They lost some key names, Keely Ringo, Jalen Carter, but a lot they retained a lot of depth, and a lot of that depth is on that it those trenches, that defensive line, that offensive line, and they might not get the most amount of attention, but I think after the 2024 season, there's going to be a lot of players that leave Georgia, especially because going beyond 2024, we're running out of that COVID eligibility. It's slowly going to be a be something that we can't consider anymore that players have. So players are going to have to leave a lot sooner than they have in the past few years thanks to that COVID eligibility. And we're going to see a lot of Bulldogs leave the program for better or worse. So I think it's going to be interesting how many names there will be to keep an eye on. Yeah, Kirby talked about that lack of the depth of the team after G-Day. He said they lost a couple of pop players. They lost to Jalen Carter. They lost to Kaylee Ringo. But he said the strength of the team was still the depth of the team. And I think that depth has been retained. I completely agree. Uh, so it'll be it'll be a fun season, even though we got to wait a while for it. Totally agreed. Thanks for coming on the show, Owen. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more of Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.